The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So last June, I was uh, scheduled to speak at a church in McKinney, which is north of Dallas. And they had asked me to come talk about uh, some stuff from my books dealing with how do you, how do you deal with a culture and a world where people are really different from one another. And that morning before uh, my daughter and I left, I was reading an article about new moving companies, location companies. And they would help you relocate, help you find a job, learn uh, all about the area, that you, all the things that you need to know to navigate a move so that people could move. This is specifically why they existed, so that you could move someplace that had more of your political views. And so basically they said, like, if you, you live someplace that's really conservative and you want to get out of that place, we'll help you find that place. And this one company particularly helped people move from Northern California to McKinney, Texas. And I thought, I'm going to McKinney. No one there is going to like what I have to say. But that's what they did. And what we're finding out is increasingly people, when we reach retirement, where people used to move to live in better weather, or they wanted to live in the, near the mountains or near the beach or maybe near their grandkids, that we're not doing that as much anymore. What we're doing is we're deciding what place on the map most reflects my views of human flourishing and moving there. We are moving now to places that agree with us. So, so it's not that people just have different opinions about all kinds of things. It's like we don't even want to talk. We don't even want to be around some of the people who have a different opinion than us. So about four months ago, um, Shania Twain was about to go on tour, and she said that she kind of saw why some people would vote for Donald Trump, which uh, obviously a lot of people did. And the next day, even though Shania Twain is a Canadian who lives in the UK, the next day, she issued a retraction because her people got to her and said, even though you are a country music singer from Canada who lives in the UK, there are enough people who won't go to your show just because you said that you could understand why people would vote for Donald Trump. I don't have to tell you this. Like, you know this already because you have family members and you've been to Thanksgiving or Christmas with family members and they start talking, and you want to kill someone, either them or you. After a while, it doesn't matter that much. Just so you can stop listening to them. Like We have lost the capacity. Or at the very best, we are losing the capacity to even talk to people who see the world differently than we are. And so what what are you supposed to do if you want to be the kind of person who walks through the world reflecting love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Like, what do you do when there are conversations in your workplace or in your home with your adult children, with your aging parents, with that aunt, that uncle, that are really tense and really hard. 
How do you handle that in a world where absolutely no one is suggesting or encouraging you to listen to other people? So what I want to do this morning, because we are 79 days away from midterms, is give you three questions that I think will radically change the way you interact with other people. That, that if, you, if you hold these three questions well, that that's going to change the way you see the world, the way you see yourself, the way you see God, and the way you see other people. And you're going to leave here after you wrapped your arms around these three questions, uh, feeling empowered, but also feeling like there's, there's a way forward for you that is not just a way to exist, but to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And so to do that, I'm going to talk about three people. Three people who all know each other, and they are the Apostle Paul, a slave named Onesimus, and a slave owner named Philemon. And so in the New Testament, there's this book. It's really just a letter called Philemon. And it's really short, and it's one of those that if you don't spend a lot of time, or maybe in your life you haven't spent a lot of time uh, reading the Bible, that you'd probably pass. It's not one that people make movies about. It's really short, and you could probably flip past it and not even see it. But it's this letter that the Apostle Paul writes to Philemon, and he writes it about this slave named Onesimus. The letter has one subject. It's Paul trying to help Philemon deal with Onesimus. Because Onesimus is a runaway slave. So Onesimus isn't just a slave. He's a runaway slave, and he's run away from his owner, his master, Philemon. And, and so there are a couple of things that you need to know to understand what, what Paul's going to do. Is that Paul started a church in this little town called Colossae. And in that little town, he converted a man named Philemon. And Philemon becomes the leader of this church, which means a, a couple of things. One, that he was probably pretty well off. He was probably wealthy because you had to have a big enough house for the entire church to meet there. And he probably had a trade or owned a farm. And if you owned a house and owned a business, that meant in the ancient world that you owned slaves. So I want you to think about it now. We look back and we think, oh man, I would never be the kind of person who owns slaves. And I want to suggest to us, yes, you would. Especially if you were living in Philemon's day, because you couldn't have a business without having slaves at the time. It was, it was as if someone said to you, you know what? You shouldn't have a car. It was, it was built into the fabric of society. And there's a lot of overlap between the slavery that you learned about if you grew up in America going to school and you got American history, there's a lot of overlap and there's a lot of dissimilarity too. And you need to understand some of those. So for one thing, um, in the ancient world in the first century, slavery wasn't race-based. Almost anyone could be a slave. And at this time, about 30% of the Roman Empire were slaves. And you might become a slave for a lot of different reasons. Uh, you might be in debt to someone. Um, there might have been a war and you lost, your side lost the war. And so it wasn't race-based because after a while, after you paid off your debt, you could leave. You say, my, my time's up, I'm gonna go. Crazily enough though, not a lot of slaves did that. 
They just sort of changed their status. When their time was up, they just stay with their master, and then they would just go on the payroll. They already knew how to do everything. It was advantageous for both the slave owner and the master. Now you've got a fully trained employee, but he's no longer, she's no longer a slave. And it wasn't forever. You could just be done. And once you become an employee, just like employees now, you can just leave. But there are some similarities too. One being that slavery is slavery is slavery is slavery. It's a system that is built and maintained for economic gain of one group over another. That's what it's always been. That's all that it ever could be. That's just what it is. Uh, slaves in different societies have had more or less rights. In some places, they had none. So for Philemon and Onesimus, uh, when Onesimus was Philemon's slave, he wasn't a man. He was a boy. Because in the ancient world, men could own property. And slaves couldn't own property. And so slaves always maintained the status of a boy. Male slaves were always boys. And, and that's not just true in the ancient world. It was true in American slavery. That's why people who are like me from the place I'm from in Mississippi, that if you go to Mississippi and you call a grown black man a boy, those are fighting words. And I remember my dad telling many people over and over again, do boys grow this big where you come from? Like, I'm not a boy. But it also meant, slavery also meant that not just part of you was a slave, all of you was a slave. And so I want to be really careful about this, but I want to be clear. Um, when all of you is a slave, all of you is a slave. And don't get confused with 21st century American sexual ethics and first century sexual ethics. Because in the first century, it would not be uncommon for men to have certain relations with boys. Not other men, but with boys. So this last this summer, for some reason unknown to me, I started watching uh, Game of Thrones from the beginning. Have you seen Game of Thrones? If you haven't, don't go out of your way. Because there are some ethics in Game of Thrones, and you would look at that and you go, there, there was a part of Game of Thrones, my wife Rochelle and I are sitting watching this, and we start, this scene starts, and we just said, you know what? Let's just fast forward through this. Who would do this? And it seems like a lot of people are doing these things. That's not uncommon in the first century. And so when you hear slave owner and slave, it would not be a stretch for slave owners to treat their slaves in certain ways. And that's always been the case too. So, Onesimus decides, 
I don't want to be a slave anymore. So he leaves Colossae, and he does what a lot of slaves do, what you would do if you were in the same situation. He finds himself, he heads to the closest big city. Because if you want to get lost, you don't want to be found out, you go to the closest big city. You get lost in the crowd. Now, I don't know what Onesimus does there, what kind of trouble he gets in, but he finds himself in prison, locked up in prison. And there's someone else who has also been locked in prison. And his name is Paul. And Paul meets Onesimus in prison. And they get to talking over time. They form a relationship. And Paul finds out, oh, you're a slave of Philemon. I know that guy because I started the church that meets in his house. Now you've got a problem. Because running away, a slave running away is called a fugitivos. You don't have to have a lot of background and languages to put that one together. So what, what is Paul to do? Onesimus has broken the law. What should he do? This really tough, tense situation. He could just send him off someplace else. Paul knows a lot of people in a lot of different places. He he could say, here's a letter. I want you to go find so-and-so. They have a house church way far away from Colossae. Go and they'll take care of you. Paul could just, just, just stay here. And uh, you can just serve me. And you can come and do stuff for me all the time. And if Philemon finds out, then uh, we'll, we'll handle it then. But he didn't do any of that. He does what no slave would want someone to do. He sends Onesimus back. And he sends him back with two letters. One being this letter called Philemon and the other being this letter in the New Testament called Colossians. Now, most of us don't write or receive letters very much anymore. But for those of us who have, who remember the olden days when people used to write letters, when you got a letter, like you'd sit down on your couch, maybe in front of your fireplace, and you'd read this letter. And if something were really interesting or stood out, you might say to someone else sitting in the room, oh, listen to what grandma said, or listen to what so-and-so said, or this is a letter home from war. That's not how these letters worked. When an apostle sent a letter to a church, it was like, okay, the next time we have a church, every time we gather around together, we're going to read this letter out loud to everyone, because not everybody could read. And then we're just going to respond to it then. So Onesimus goes back to Colossae, and he's got these two letters, one addressed to Philemon and the other for the entire church, and they're going to read them both out loud in church. Do you want your mail read out loud in church? Most of my letters start like this. Mr. Palmer, 
we are writing to inform you that such and such is 60 days overdue. That's generally <laughs> how my mail works. And so they're all gathered around with Philemon wondering, why'd you come back? What am I going to do with you? And Paul writes this letter, and he starts it out with all of the usual stuff that he starts out letters with about how much he loves them and that he's praying for them and all of that good stuff. But then he gives Philemon three questions to alter the way that Philemon sees the world. And those are the same three questions that we have to deal with when we deal with each other. And so in verse 8, Paul says this. He says, Although I am bold enough in the anointed, our liberating king, to insist you do the right thing. He ain't even told him what the right thing is. Like, like Paul's just trusting that Philemon's going to intuit what the right thing is. And the reason he's doing that is because there's a letter at all. Like, like if it was okay to just do what every other slave owner did, then Paul wouldn't have to send um, a letter at all. He'd just say, okay, Onesimus is back. Do what you will. Have him beat. Have him, have him flogged. Whatever you're going to do. He says, I'm gonna, I trust that you do the right thing. And so even there, you get kind of this, you get this sense that whatever it is the right thing is for people who follow Jesus, it's not the same thing as the right thing is for everybody. That there is a higher moral and ethical standard. He said, instead, I choose to appeal to you on account of love. I do this for my own sake since I, Paul, am an old man and I'm held prisoner because of my service to Jesus, the anointed. So this, this right here is enough, probably, to reorient the way that we see the world and we see one another. The first question that Paul would have us deal with is this. How would you treat other people if you traded power for love? Because Paul writes, he says, um, I could make you do this. I could insist that you do this. But I would rather this be about love. Because I'm Paul the Apostle, and you're just Philemon, the house church guy. I could make you do this. And I think if we were to be honest with ourselves, more of our decisions, more of the way we see the world and treat other people has to do with the extension of our power than love. Because power is really easy. And we see it all the time. So when I was, when I was in college, one of my roommate's dad owned several restaurants. And he was a really good man. But he had an employee who got hurt on the job. And because he got hurt on the job, because of my friend's dad's commitment to Jesus, he decided look, I'm going to take care of your medical needs. Like, you're going to get workman's comp. You're going to be taken care of because I feel like as a follower of Jesus, that's really important. And that sounded good at the beginning, but a couple of weeks later, the employee came back and he said, you know, I've talked to some friends and I talked to a, an attorney and uh, we're going to sue you. 
And so my friend's dad, kind of offended by that, he goes, you can do that if you want to. But let me tell you what. I've got more money and more lawyers, and you will lose. Even good people, when tension arises, when things get tight, the lever that we pull is power. This is what I can make happen. This is what I can do to you, either because of my wealth or my position. Like, I can make certain things happen. And we are really slow as a culture to admit the fact that we do have a lot of power. But almost everyone hearing this has either some financial power or some positional power. They have some cultural influence that many, many other people don't have. And it's really easy to always play the victim and look at the people who have more power than we do. But there's a lot, there are a lot of us here right now who can make almost anything that we have to have happen, happen. And because we know it, because we can make things happen, that is so much simpler to just do it that way. You see it in families. Well, I'm the man, I'm the breadwinner around here, so everyone's going to do this, 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 this. Or you look at your children and you say, because I said so. There are wives who say, well, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the mom of the house, I'm the woman of the house, and there are certain things, there are certain things that I can withhold to get what I want. I've said this before, and people always write me nasty letters when I say it, but it's true. If you've got a sign in your house that says, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, you've got a problem in your house. easiest thing in the world when things get hard and when things get tense is to choose power. And, and sometimes you, you just have to, like I, I know some of us have children, right? And you have to discipline your children. You have to redirect your children. Like we've told our girls over and over again, like I need you to, sometimes I'm going to need you to do something and then you can ask me questions about it later. And you have to discipline children. But I know of no one who has children who enjoys disciplining their children. Like none of us go into having children just to discipline them later. I like the way that Henry Nouwen talks about this. He says, what makes the temptation of power so seemingly irresistible? Maybe it's that power offers an easy substitute for the hard task of love. It seems easier to be God than to love God, easier to control people than to love people. Jesus asks, do you love me? We ask, can we sit at your right hand and your left hand in your kingdom? Some of us just have to deal with the fact that our greatest temptation, oftentimes we don't even see it, is just to exercise power to get what we want. But Paul has more to say to Philemon. Starting in verse 10, he says this, I make this request on behalf of my child, Onesimus, whom I brought to faith during my time in prison. Before he was useless to you, but now 
He is useful to both you and me. Now, you don't have to, um, you probably would get a whole lot more out of that if you'd ever had to uh, waste a whole bunch of time in a Greek class. But the name Onesimus, Onesimus means useful. And Paul says, before he was useless to you, but now he's Onesimus. He's useful to you and me. Listen, I am sending my heart to you as I send him to stand before you, although truly I wish to keep him at my side to take your place as my helper while I am bound for the good news. And this is probably one of the sweetest things that the Apostle Paul ever says. So all of the people who really get down on Apostle Paul for he's this or he's that or whatever, they never read this part. Because when Paul writes Philemon, he says to them, I'm, I'm sending my heart back to you. In verse 10, Paul calls Onesimus, my child. This is my child. Second question for us. How do you want your children to be treated? Because everybody that you've ever known, everyone you've ever disliked, you don't like their take, you don't like their opinion, you think this about them, you think... That is somebody's child. (laughs) And how do you want your children to be treated? And you know more than anyone Your children aren't perfect. They're not always great. They break stuff. They're pain. They want to do stuff when you don't want to do anything. When you want them to do something, they don't want to do anything. But how do you want your children treated? Elizabeth Stone has this great quote about what it is to have children. She says, Making the decision to have a child, it is to decide forever to have your heart go walking around outside your body. This is what it is to have a child. How do you want other people to speak to your child? How do you want other people to speak about your child? So this summer, I had my 44th birthday. And so I've been gone from home a long time, and I'm my mom's youngest child. But whenever I'm back in Atlanta with my mom and I go with her to church, which is a different church than the one where I grew up. So uh, everyone there, they either don't know me or know me by reputation. So my mom wants me to meet all of her friends and all of that. And every time she meets me, she goes, this is Sean. He's my baby. Everyone has someone for whom they are the world. Just like for you who have children, you have people who are your world. 
And Paul says, this is my heart. And Philemon, while you're deciding what you're going to do, you need to know that in that decision, this is my child. In verse 15, Paul picks up. He says, maybe this is the reason why he was supposed to be away from you for this time. So that now you will have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but as more than a slave, as a dear brother. Yes, he is dear to me. But I suspect he will come to mean even more to you, both in the flesh as a servant and in the Lord as a brother. You know, I I think I used to think that Philemon was a great conversion story and that maybe the reason that he ran away from Philemon is that he could meet Paul and be converted. But the older I get, I see this as a story that Onesimus runs away and meets Paul so that Philemon could be converted. converted to a new way of seeing other people and seeing the world. And what Paul is doing here, he is just trading on the same things that he has said to other people in other letters. Like when he tells the church in Corinth that because of Jesus, we no longer see anyone from a worldly point of view. That the status, the fundamental status of every person you've ever met has changed. The Philemon Philemon, Onesimus is not a slave. Like he's a brother. And you get to choose now if you want to accept that. So the third question for us is just what if you stayed open to conversion? Because Philemon's already done whatever he needs to do to become a Christian. And he's already done whatever he needs to do to become a church leader. But there's still more. And sometimes our best defense against the next move of God is allegiance to the last move of God. And there's so much in Philemon that still sees the world, that the way the world sees itself. And if he didn't, if Paul didn't suspect that there were still places and pockets in Philemon's life for conversion, he would have never had to send the letter in the first place. He would have just sent Onesimus back and said, oh yeah, I know Philemon, he'll do the right thing. But Paul knows. Philemon doesn't know the right thing. And so he says, all of us, No matter if if we just walked into a worship gathering for the first time or we've been here for 50 years, that there's always space for conversion, always space for God to do a new thing, and always space for us to be in and stay in the movement of what God is doing next. That maybe right now, all the ways that you have seen and understood the world and all the ways that you have seen and understood other people, that there is more to it still. That all your interpretations, all my interpretations of the way things are, that God is still stirring and mixing all of that. And when it comes to one another, we stay open to conversion.
because what if in this person that I see, I'm not seeing all that God intends for me to see? It's one of the regrettable things about the letter to Philemon is that we don't know what happened. We don't know if Philemon decided, oh yeah, Paul, you're probably right about that. I should do that. Or Paul said, Philemon was like, just forget all that. I'm going to do my own thing. Like, I, I wish that there was videotape that somebody was wearing a GoPro and we could capture it all. But we just don't know. But I, I suspect because the letter um, still exists, that Philemon did what Paul asked. And how amazing would that be if he did? Because while we don't know what happened with Philemon, what he chose, we do know that there was an early church leader who later in his life followed around the last living apostles, working with them, taking notes for them, traveling alongside of them. And we know that this apostle became a church leader at the church in Ephesus. And that as people were being uh, killed and sacrificed to the Roman Empire later in the story of Christianity, that many times that he would meet with them and pray with them. And we know that he was stoned and beheaded. And we know that his name was Onesimus. And not just Onesimus, but Saint Onesimus. Now I want to be honest. Onesimus is a really common name. There's no way for us to know if that's the same Onesimus. But what if one of the reasons that the gospel survived, that the story of Jesus traveled outside of a 30-mile radius of Judea, was that the apostles were aided by a former slave named Onesimus? And what if one of the reasons that all of those Gentiles who gave birth to more Gentiles and more Gentiles and more Gentiles and eventually gave birth to all of us, what if the reason that we're here is because of a saint named Onesimus? Because I believe that the way we treat one another and the way that we speak to one another absolutely change the world. And we see in the headlines every day the disastrous results of toxic speech and treatment of other people. And that is not a reflection of Jesus, regardless of who does it. And so if you want to be the kind of person 
who doesn't want to kill yourself or someone else in the next 79 days? How are you going to deal with these three questions? How are you going to move forward? Because I think that will change the world. Because someone somewhere will come to know Jesus because of the way you and I spoke to someone they never met. And it's for this reason that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. And in the same way, after the meal, he took the wine and poured it, saying, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you, which is poured out for you. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And in the Lord's death, we see again what it is that can change the world when someone chooses Love over power. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.